0: Oh, yeah there's a lot of broken people around who are so dazed and some are coming from the evacuation center and they I don't know it, it's just there's a lot of walking hurt people and everyone's heart is heavy
1: welcome to life on the land a Grazy her podcast telling stories of women living in rural and regional Australia. Hi, I'm Sky Manson. I'm your host for this episode. It's a lot. All that is going on around us in our backyard and afar is a lot to take in, to view on our screens and to contextualise within our lives. In the last few years, there's been so many unprecedented, so many worst evers and an evolution of world events that were acknowledged as pure absurdity only a few years ago. I've found that gaining a deeper understanding helps. And our guest today is ABC journalist and macadamia farmer Bronwyn Herbert, who lives on higher ground, just 10 kilometres from Lismore. Over the course of the last two weeks, her life, And the lives of her community have been turned on their face. Brown, murky, debris-filled floodwaters two metres higher than the highest ever recording crushed her community. And their days are now filled with the chaos of finding minders for children so adults can work. And if they're not working, they're helping someone, strangers, to clean up or wash clothes or cook meals or do paperwork or share a cool drink. It's been a lot. It is a lot.
0: Hi, I'm Bronwyn Curtin. Uh, look, I actually have a bit of a, a second life because I'm also Bronwyn Herbert. I still work under my maiden name for work. Uh, I, work I live on a macadamia and cattle farm Um in funnel than new south wales just out of lismore we're about 10 minutes out of town i live here with my husband austin and my three kids claudia who's eight george is six and daisy is four
1: just to kind of put us in the picture brian tell me about how your day started today i can imagine at the minute things aren't really normal
0: Look, it's really different. And and for some context too, I am a news journalist with the local ABC, which is how we know each other from former lives as rural reporters together in different corners of Western Australia. So I work part-time with the local ABC North Coast team. Um, Not that anything's been too part-time given the scale of the floods um, across the Northern Rivers um, in the past 10 days or so. Today, look, I've got the day off work, which um, is a welcome relief, to be completely frank, because we've just been working around the clock as a team for now. um, It's really, I guess, in in my life, the biggest um, difference at the moment is just that our kids aren't at school. Um, So across our region, there are tens of thousands of kids, actually, that aren't going to school as, um, you know, authorities are trying to work out, you know, where they're going to where where schools are going to be moved to or different buildings and all of those kinds of things so today I've dropped um, my son George off to a friend's place basically um, lots of our families our good friends are um, kind of all doing a day each of looking after each other's kids so the rest of us can do work and um, you know effectively our day jobs and if you're not doing a day job Really, you are um, out there in some capacity helping with the community cleanup effort um, in whatever way that might be. It might be washing a load of clothes, or um, you know, washing still washing crockery, or um, delivering food, or um, yeah, doing you know, you can. There's many ways to help here. And also, so my youngest, who's preschool in town, has been um, affected by the floods. Um, admittedly, the water didn't go through their classroom although another 10 preschools in our area have um but they don't have electricity yet in the cbd and also they've got sewage issues so that's just a whole nother story and my eldest um we've actually um gosh so we, we've um she's gone to stay with my sister on the south coast um until we have a clear indication as to when her school will be back um we just made the call earlier this week Without having um, any idea what was going to really happen or the timeline, you know, whether it's a week out of school or whether it's going to be three weeks of them, you know, we thought let's just get her. And she was happy to go, she's really close to her cousin. So we've moved her off. So, yeah, that's where we're well, at. she that.
1: attend school there or yes, just? No she is.
0: There. Yeah, we There's- made some calls and basically they're just taking her in like a little orphan. In the short term and so, I mean, she doesn't know anyone in her little class but she had her first day there yesterday and seemed, you know, really happy. She's a pretty adaptable kid. I mean, otherwise she's just going to be here playing at friends' houses, which is good, but, I mean, how long do you keep doing that for? Yeah, yeah, some
1: resemblance of normal routine is, has it got to start again at some point?
0: Yes, indeed. indeed. Are there?
1: Is that as the story of many others as well? That they're oh, trying absolutely. to find schooling? Uh, yeah with relatives and
0: look it's it's such a mixed bag I mean we've had more than three thousand homes here in Lismore that have had flood water through them most people have tried to find either family or friends to stay with of those flood affected and so they're obviously in an immediate crisis cleanup mode um and so even out while working you know you see um there's either kids out playing on the street out the front of even where all the, the rubbish is or you've seen um you know kids inside trying to help where they can with squidgies and um, you know washing out bedrooms or helping in the kitchen I've been to a house where the mum has just told me that you know basically the teenage daughter couldn't cope with another day of it so she was having a day off of not coming back to it so you know it's it's it, it, it's everywhere but for those who even you know a part of the community but may not have lost their home they then may have lost a business or they may not have a school anymore as they know it. And the schools are doing everything they can and they want the community to come back together, but it's, you know, they're still trying to work out where they're going to be moved to. Um, You know, major high schools, thousands of uh, students are, are not going to be Back in school as i know it this year at that location and um quite a number of primary schools too and i know there's a thousand preschool and children in early education that are without a service gosh that is But so there's quite a scale to it sky
1: yeah huge and so just to clarify your ha- has your home been flat affected
0: No, no, we are, as I said, like on a macadamia orchard with cattle and we are just 10 minutes, and so basically kind of up in the hills a little bit of the plateau um, on the edge of Lismore, we're fine. But, I mean, you carry a bit of a guilty complex because you haven't actually had the flood water through your house in some ways. Um, But thankfully, um, we live really close to our in-laws and um, they've had, effectively, um, they've also I mean, anyone who can who's got a spare bedroom has been taking in people who have been um, flood affected. So they hosted a family from South Lismore who had never before lived there, you know, all their lives and, you know, lost their home with flood water, you know, halfway up the lounge room walls. Um, but yeah, those stories are repeated. And that family, although they had family in town and their daughter didn't get flooded, she lost all her power. So they couldn't really go and stay there when she was really not even in a position to look after them. So there's just a bit of a a flow on effect. And everyone that I know is trying in whatever capacity they can to help those who need it.
1: Mm. And how does that on a really micro level, how does that actually work? Like, I'm sure you don't know everybody in Lismore. And although there are pockets of communities within communities that do know each other but you're talking about people that you don't know so how does the word get out that there's a spare room or that somebody needs help in this street today like when you have spare time and you want to go and help how does that kind of eventuate
0: well on a very micro level I guess personally I've been down there reporting and Getting stories, and so I've then literally run into people going, they need help. So I've called my husband or called a friend and said, "Hey, these guys, they don't seem to have anyone there at the moment. Why don't you, you know, if you know of someone, can you help out?" But there've been some really effective local um, Facebook groups as well, um, and a community response there, where like Resilient Lismore, where they then basically put up an address of where, yeah, where where they've seen. A need for help and people then are also posting and it might be their auntie or uncle or their grandparents and saying hey if anyone's got you know a couple of spare squidges and whatever cleaning products can you come and turn up here and give us a hand so that's sort of the very micro level of it um you could also illustrate it through like it's quite random too but like even a good friend in town who bottom story of their house got flooded they were without power for a week but got it on and now she's set up three washing machines in the understory of their house and so she's now anyone who's in walking distance is effectively bringing their laundry to the bottom of her house and it's like a community spot for them to wash and have a chat and then they can they can go in their own time. And even like the local Dan Murphy's has got a um, washing machine in the car park. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's all—it's a That's little bit so surreal. Upsetting. Lots of the things. Yeah. Um. So it's it's just nice seeing those little glimmers of hope, but it's also pretty distressing when you, you know, you, you go back into town, especially when like the, the first thing when the floodwaters were still there, like they'd receded enough that you could go in, but the shop windows were just the glass was blasted out there was just that, that covering of silt and dirt on everything um just the the random rubbish piles there was um you know like little pieces of lego down the main street there were um you know mannequins from you know the hairstyles from the from the hairdressers just in unusual in spots something yeah yeah you know fridges up trees just it was just sort of the the rubbish in the most unusual places and and I mean it got to effectively two stories high there in the main part of town so the scale is you just can't fathom it really
1: what's the smell like
0: uh the smell is look I haven't got the most sensitive nose so I'm probably well placed to be able to deal with it but um even with that um it's yeah it's it's awful particularly yeah when you get anywhere near there's been unfortunately animals um you know and the, yeah cows and things but um yeah also it's just that you go into the house and if there's been a room that's been closed up and that door opens and it's just this awful yeah musty moldy rotting smell um I was at a, sh- a house uh, yesterday and their work vehicle had had water damage in it but they sort of they've just popped the back of the van open and that was sort of the first time and just could you imagine then I guess after 10 days of that smell of even that Mm. in a contained environment Mm -hmm. outpouring it's pretty vile yeah
1: Yeah. and so through your reporting do you like have you had much to do with farmers around the area can you what's how are they going we just
0: to see. predominantly um and I guess just to set the scene I was reporting last Sunday it was when we were then getting you know it really stepped up in terms of the intensity of what was predicted like that it was going to be a major flood and there was that um that rain bomb they didn't know where was going to fall and I was doing a tv story that day for the 7 p.m news and then Late in the afternoon, a man went missing in the, you know, quickly rising floodwaters just in town. Um, and in the town, I would say the majority of businesses were all prepping for a major flood in terms of then what they were moving stock to above their high, you know, the high level so that they could, the water they, they, they'd assume would break the levee and it would come through town. But they, you know, they all have their flood plans essentially of how to deal with it. And we are a flood city, flood town that has, a flood on average every eighteen months, but just again that the scale of it and the amount of water that poured down through that night, and so we were all kind of um, bracing for the next day for the water to overtop the levee. I think it was, in, this is in Lismore town itself around lunchtime the next day, and then that got moved forward to mid-morning, and then I got a call from my chief of staff in the middle of the night saying, "You've got to come in. It's all it's it, it, it's happened. It's it's going." Mm. And at the same time, I'd got a tap on, you know, on my shoulder from my husband, who I didn't realise hadn't been sleeping. And he's like, quick, you've got to get up. You've got to, you have to get into work. So, you know, sort of literally get in there. I think it was, I don't know, three, after between three and 3.30 a.m. We had many hands on deck and they were already in emergency broadcasting mode, which has mean where they're just literally updating, as you know, those, um, you know, the flood river heights. Um, talking to the SES regularly, getting the latest bomb data. Um, and the water was already over, had overtopped the levee. then. Yeah. And then it just escalated. And then we were just getting these calls in of, you know, as Dawn was breaking of people um, saying they couldn't get through the SES and they couldn't get, they couldn't get rescued. And that the they weren't getting answered on the triple O calls um, so there was just this huge need like because literally there were whole suburbs of Lismore where the water was so high that people were only either like they were in attics they were on rooftops they were clinging to balustrades on balconies and they were just crying for help or messaging out to family and then the family were then relaying messages to to us and obviously through to emergency services and that's when I mean you might have heard but we had like the, like a, uh, an SES person on the radio and he said, you know what, we've just got to get, um, if anyone who has a boat can get out and come and help us, we need help, which is quite a, like a moment that you just don't think would happen, that they would then be just calling on civilians essentially to do it. I mean, he was mindful saying like as long as you've got a boat licence and, you, you know, you can do it safely, you're not putting yourself at risk to do it. There was a few of those caveats. But it was like, we just need anyone we possibly can get down there right now. And so that's when the people turned out um, and they came and they were, you know, the, the tinny Army and then there were the, the kayaks and the jet skis. And my um, my husband was out there. He was, he'd called and he'd been through the main town and they were getting people from the second floor of a hotel who were stranded there and bringing them back in. And then it just turned into a, yeah, it was just a pure emergency mode of just, trying to get as many people out safely as they possibly could. And a real logistical nightmare because obviously the, the river is still full in full flood. Like this wasn't, you know, they talk about those rescuers of the being able to actually cross the Wilsons River, which is the main river in Lismore, which is like kind of like a rapid system going through the part of town. So they had to try and get them to a certain bridge and then get people to walk across that bridge to the other side where people were then picking them up and then ferrying them over and you would have seen those images of the countless sort of boats just coming up
1: it just is so incredible that the that more lives weren't lost is that do you feel that too
0: yeah a hundred percent yeah and I mean it's terribly sad especially with the elderly people who were the you know the the main deaths um that that just weren't able to get out like a yeah it's 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 awful but uh, you, know, you know you hear those stories too and i've had them firsthand of people who were you know, then lying on mattresses and then the water flooded their home and they were still floating on the mattress in the water inside their house Fantastic. with you know 60 centimeters or then stuck in an attic and and there was also these stories of people then at the evacuation center saying we still haven't heard from exit next can someone check on them? Can they go and check on them? And you know, eventually, someone gets down to the house and finds the, you know, the pair in their late seventies that are then stuck in their attic, um, you know, still waiting for help. But they didn't have, didn't have a phone. They mm. couldn't get get the messages out. But just thankfully, there were neighbours checking on neighbours. I think that's been how the, um, yeah, the the death toll hasn't been, hasn't been worse. Mm. For you.
1: As a reporter in that emergency um, broadcasting mode, was were you just in the office producing and everybody's taking phone calls and giving information it, to present through the night?
0: Through those early hours, we were, but then we were out in the field from oh, I would say probably kind of eight thirty nine o'clock. So when we were supplemented with having other people in the office, and also to add to this guy. We, communications were down and the, and then our whole ABC um, broadcast, we lost power, even then we had a generator and then that failed. So if you could imagine if you're in an emergency broadcast mode and then you actually lose all service, mm. but effectively then our neighbouring bureau, which is down on the mid-north coast, they, they took it over and then our, our presenter, Joe Shoebridge, then was on the mobile phone being interviewed by them to keep that going while they then got the service back up and running. And we were just about at the stage of moving to, so the police had already moved out of their headquarters and moved up to the um, bowling club. We were about to head up to there, but eventually, I think it was only an hour, about an hour and a half, and then we effectively, they got us back, the transmission restored. So that was just adding another layer of complication to it. Mm -hmm. But in terms of that, no, it was a majority then field reporting, Sky, on the day of the... um, while that was happening so down there where the boats were um offloading people and you know you're just seeing like a conga line of stunned people kind of in rain ponchos carrying a dog or a pet and or cradling a, a baby and mm. toddler sort of walking up this hill and then they were get getting put onto either buses or, or cars and then taken up to an evacuation center and then sort of doing crosses from there for most of the day, um, but I mean, interspersed too with some beautiful stories of um, just the community spirit of people seeing the need and coming out and doing whatever they could. Like you would have heard about the Fijians who were they were um, they'd only arrived two weeks ago to um, start. They had special visas to work on the local abattoir over in Casino in Booyong, which is a little village um, out of Lismore and um they were amazing so there was 40 odd of them and they i remember interviewing one of them semi and he says oh yeah we get floods all the time like i'm just this is just like homeland i can you know i can help i can help (laughs) so um but i mean they were carrying you know the elderly they were carrying everyone to who who needed help they were involved in the actual rescues they they were they were solid rock solid um and not that they were alone there were another guy i had um I met while I was, there was an evacuation of an aged care hostel and I was down there filming that. Um, and then this man got off a boat He looked pretty bedraggled and, you know, you could just see he would had a big day. And then these two other people just off to the side came over and gave him a massive hug. And I'm like, well, oh, that's kind of what's going on there. And I went over and just sort of, you know, introduced myself and started chatting. And this man had, um, with another guy, had effectively um, helped rescue around a hundred people out of South Lismore that day, mm-hmm. and he'd woken up at four a.m. with the rising floodwaters through his commercial property. He runs a uh, had a metal fabrication business. Sorry, he still has a metal fabrication business. Hopefully, mm-hmm. that one day um, might be okay. But um, they and they then he he just saw the need. Like he had a, got his boat untethered from the side of the shop and then literally the six houses near his business, there were people on the roofs. And, again, he was then collecting them, including the lady next door who was sitting on her roof with all her pets, but underneath her house was on fire Oh, from an electrical fault. So the, Far out. So can you just imagine that? Mm. Like No. No, yeah. No. So that's what I mean. And then, you know, get those guys out and then he would then, And he said, if this is what the need is in just where I can see, I can only imagine in the next streets across. So he just started then doing street by street grid-like work, getting the rest, you know, helping out there.
1: A hundred people is an incredible amount. That's huge.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it is. So it's been 10
1: days now, I think. By the time this goes to air, it will have been a little bit longer. But um, have you had, that? that is pure adrenaline, for so many people do you think there's been any processing time
0: not really no 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 I think most people I mean hopefully that will come but it's it's certainly still just been in that mode of it's just if you go anywhere within that Lismore that the the CBD or South Lismore now North Lismore um, what's the old square, sort of this whole central part of town. I mean, there's still debris and rubbish piled mm-hmm. up, metres high outside buildings. And I, although we do have the army and they are here and they are cleaning up, I mean, the figure yesterday quoted was it's still going to take four weeks to be able to get the, that amount of rubbish um, cleaned up. How, so, how you know, so how do you, you can't process anything when you're still going around seeing this kind of devastation. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah. And this foreign, this this apocalyptic scene that's in, mm. your, in your hometown, in a place that's so familiar to you. Um, I'm so interested to know how, how, what happens with that rubbish? Where does it go? Who picks it up?
0: Yeah. Look, we're still trying to... We, it hasn't been revealed exactly where it's going, but the Lismore tip was flooded as well, so that adds a layer of complication the latest I got from the Northeast waste people was that, that it will end up going to Ipswich in Queensland, where is basically where bulk waste goes from this part of the world, um, you mm. know, when the local tips are full. Uh, so that's my understanding. And we haven't got a metric in terms of just how many tonnes they're likely to get, but that yeah. figure eventually will come. <laughs>
1: We all know that the Bush Telegraph is the best way to get the message out there. So, we're starting one for Grazy Her. We'd like to use the Grazy Her Bush Telegraph to help flood-affected businesses get back on their feet. We know that when the waters recede, businesses will need the help of the Grazy Her community for many months to come. So, we'll be launching the Bush Telegraph in the next issue of Grazy Her to get the word out contact Sally via email to find out how we can help sally at au. Let's use the Grazy Her Bush Telegraph to help the community. In the clean-up stage of things, like I don't know, where are people up to in the main street of town who have have businesses been able to clear out that debris and they're just into washing down um, walls? Yeah, and
0: pulling out. Carpets? pretty much, Sky, depending, um, yeah, on your circumstances. But, yeah, most businesses, as soon as they physically could get in there, they were in there, um, you know, with the gurney, washing down walls, getting that mud and silt and debris, sort of mucking out um, the... Uh, the, their stores because with a flood and anyone who's familiar with that, they would know that that um, effectively that residue, uh, it, it sets like rock um, afterwards. Like it's in almost like a concrete sort of um, fixture. So the quicker you can get it off the walls and while it's still actually got some moisture in it helps the overall process. So um yeah, so that the tons of rubbish is, you know, it's all basically at the front of everyone's buildings. But then it's not just that. Then they've had to take out the walls or the gyprock and the ceilings as well because, you know, it's gone to the second level of buildings. And then because of that, the degree, that scale again, then there's have, you have to wait for structural engineers to um, come in and to give it the all clear that then you can even be able to um, reopen and plus, they don't even have electricity. And Essential Energy says it's going to be two weeks until the CBD has um, electricity resupplied because it's all underground and you know, complicated. So, yeah, I mean, there are little signs of hope and people have got generators and there's little caravans of food and, you know, the little local coffee shop opened up on Monday, which is a you know remarkable feat just out of a caravan outside its actual building. So people are doing what they can do, I think. I saw
1: on one of your Instagram posts, I think, that you were talking about um, just some of the specific businesses in town and that I just recall you mentioning two pubs that are just refurbed in the last 12 months. And um, how are people like that
0: feeling? Oh, that's so sad. That's I mean, it's heartbreaking. And, yeah, I think that there's actually um, four bars or pubs and including a new brewery that have, you know, it only opened the brewery just before Christmas. And it's been a huge, long debacle for them to get approval to finally open. So that, you know, you can just, the, the stress involved oh, with that and oh, it, it's just next level. But the, um, I think the community of Lismore and in South of Lismore, there's this real vibrancy and hope this year that there was just a, a a positive sense of the town was going forward, that there was um, renewal, that people were investing in businesses, that, um, that you know, old daggy pubs were being done up and there were rooftop bars. Uh, there were just, you know, this, we've got places to go, there's good food, you know, really
1: yeah.
0: a real meeting points for the community. So it's almost, it's just sort of even extra heartbreaking when you see people investing their lives into these and then just seeing that that decimation um, yeah but saying that two of the those businesses I'm talking about one the Metropole hotels actually reopened um, in in the capacity it can has been just on the rooftop where it's um so and I think it did um, yeah opened up and did free beers the other night so which is fabulous and the brewery um, which is two mates over in South Lismore yeah there. I think that they're trying their best to to get back to it something that yeah
1: yeah because people would no doubt just want to be there and um spend money there to help them if so if they can get up and running in any capacity that's okay no one expects anything glamorous Uh,
0: absolutely and I know that they've got their own GoFundMe page trying to um help their business get back and running but the the owner there I mean he he stayed overnight to look after the, well, just to check it as the waters were rising. And essentially they're built so that he could be able to, you know, wash out, the, you know, the, the floors of the bottom. And, um, you know, he had a mezzanine accommodation level, but the water came all the way up to there. Then he had to get out of the, you know, there's a massive old warehouse converted into a brewery, but then he's getting filled with water and he's just watching all his dreams, you know, hmm. step by step get Flooded and that that equipment and the vats yeah. and oh it's it's insane There's and then new was-
1: equipment no doubt yeah mm. yeah yeah millions of dollars. I want to ask about food. Are there yes. like where are people getting their food from? Are there supermarkets that are untouched?
0: So in the Lismore area, in the CBD area, of course, nothing. They've all been wiped out. Saying that there is a independent grocer down there who is. Exp- Expecting to open in the coming days, basically with, a, I think, an outside market style grocery business to provide some sort of service in that area. But, um, yeah, and, and as you know, like a, the, a, the, the closest supermarkets um, all across the Northern Rivers, and I mean, not just in Lismore, but um, so up in Bar, and Alstonville and even down in Ballina and up, up the coast. They were they effectively ran out of food because we were landlocked, Um, Mm. so no one could get in when that um, was happening. But things have definitely restored. I mean, you can go to the supermarkets up at Canella Bar, and yeah, there there are supplies, but it's you know significant queues, and um, it's also just it's pretty distressing because people are, oh yeah, there's a lot of broken people around, Mm. um, and who are so dazed and, um, you know, some are coming from the evacuation centre and they I don't know, it, it's just there's a, there's a lot of walking hurt people and everyone's heart is heavy.
1: Mm-hmm. Describe to me what it's like um, come nightfall and you can't help out in the same way that you can during the day and people need to, Go back to homes that aren't their own and eat something? How does that happen?
0: In terms of my personal experience, I've either been working or trying to help on my days off with homes that have needed cleaning. And um, I mean, you just do as much as you physically can during the day. Um, And then, you know, by nightfall, everyone's exhausted. But I mean, personally, you, you, you know, kind of get home, you're in a daze. And if the, it's actually really hard to switch off Mm -hmm. and you're absolutely exhausted and you collapse and you go to sleep, but then you wake up and you are then kind of reliving some of those stories or thinking, Oh, how could I help that person who then, you know, this had happened to them. How can we support their business? Um, How can you, this is what, I think this is what they need. Like you're trying to fix it in your brain for the, every family that you went to, how, you know, you could make some links with some people whether it's legal services or whether it's an engineer you might know or someone Mm -hmm. to try and I don't know help on those little individual scales is Mm -hmm. where probably I'm at Mm -hmm. and then also just the work side of it of the um I don't know like that stress of those stories and making sure that they're getting out there but um you know they have you told their story well enough that you I don't know just you know maintaining um I don't know that exposure, and also you feel that there's this, there's a guilt too going on that. I mean, so much of the focus, the epicenter has been in Lismore, but then um, you know further downstream, the communities of Corakai and Woodburn. You know, 500 people had to be evacuated out of Woodburn, um, uh, which is down down from Lismore and Broadwater. Um, and then also, you know, up in casinos. So, and then, and that's not even speaking of the Tweed system, which was completely flooded, and South Moolombar and Tumbulgum. Yeah. And these are all flood communities. They 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 deal with floods. But as I say, there's this message of just the level, like in more, it was two meters higher than the highest flood we've ever known, like two meters. It's 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 absolutely mind-blowing of how, how much water came down that night and the falls of um you know, the, the bomb data predicted flood levels compared to what actually happened. Um, and, you know, there was this talk of this rain fall of, you know, a falls of up to 500 millimetres in you know, isolated patches, didn't know where that would go, but it seemed to dump everything it could into the, the hinterland of our um, of our region. And those um, just reading the rainfall tallies the next morning, like we had so many places that had 500 mils or more overnight, but that had... There were quite a handful that it had, had um, 700 millimetres and effectively just the geography of our area. Like if you think of it, we're at the bottom of a funnel and all of those rainfall events that happened, uh, it's called, like the caldera is what it's called. Um, and it, all that water then falls down through the, you know, the Nightcap National Park and then the western side of Nuri Bar and Bangalore, all of the water there, and from Nimbin on the other side. And Lismore is where those two creeks meet and then where they they both have had out of the world amount of rain falling into that single valley, which has then, yeah, left its scale no of destruction. Mm. Yeah.
1: And there are so, as a, as a journo, there are just so many stories to tell and only so many hours and minutes that that, that can be seen and heard and not to say that, Uh, I I mean, you'll be unfolding stories for months to come.
0: Yeah, and you you Sky, you know how that is too, like the, um, I don't know, like in who do you choose whose story is it going to be that you feel like can best represent um, the issues of homelessness or the housing crisis. Um, And it doesn't mean that another person's story is invalid. But, you know, you have to then make the call on, you know, which ones are it. But, uh, yeah, you do just spend a lot of time listening to people and, and their experiences. And there's, yeah, people are so stoic is what I, I I think there.
1: It's almost like there's no, in this, in, in in this stage of things where the adrenaline is still high, but probably starting to wear off a little bit, people are getting tired. Um, absolutely. That that stoicism is the only way in some respects you're either that or you're, um, You've collapsed in a bit of a heat. Yeah. yeah. And then there'll
0: be the anger, like that phase is starting to come through, too, of just questions about, um, you know, the level of emergency support um, given, um, you know, the way that it all unfolded, which is, you know, to a whole nother podcast, I think, in terms of the, mm. that, um, yeah, trying to resolve um, some of those,
1: you know, you structural feel? issues do you feel is there a feeling of um aloneness
0: no I don't think there is I feel like the community very much is connected and through whatever networks you have like you know Lismore's really diverse area community like there's um all types are welcomed here and I feel like within that there's so many um, are just coming out to help in whatever way they can and it's and also it's been really really generous the spirit of um people even from across our region and from elsewhere people traveling up here and and you know offering coming in with the gum boots and helping with the cleanup or just coming and delivering food or whatever they possibly can like it's yeah the outpouring of of love for Lismore has been incredible for sure um, yeah it, but it needs it <laughs>
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, um, it's a little bit m- magic, this coming together of people that you would never, you know, you don't usually have anything to do with them. And um, that's really, it's awful, but it's not, it's awful circumstances, but it's just really wonderful. And um, that makes community stronger. And it's, it's, it's funny how that's how it works in disasters that, it's so awful but it brings you it makes the community more rock solid
0: yeah a hundred percent yeah mm. yeah it, it it really does and I think you work out that's who's there in the times of need aren't they mm. it's yeah. those ones around you despite you know where they've come from or what their story is you, you really are all in it together
1: yeah and so Bron how is your macadamia farm
0: oh look it's it's okay. It desperately needs to start getting um, harvested.
1: Some attention.
0: Some attention and some love because attention has been elsewhere. And as I look out the window, we have got lots of branches down. There was a storm that came through on Sunday night on top of everything else. And so it's, you know, knocked a few trees out. But you know what? Like you can't complain. It's just it that's, that's life up here. So it's so minor in the scale of things. Um, and we are lucky in that the actual orchard here is effectively on the plateau, um, but we've, you know, I've got, we've got neighbours who've got, um, uh, you know, um, country further down, like really on the, what's the floodplain, So down towards the coast and, you know, they've had their trees sitting and swimming in water for the best part of a week. Um, and then they've been down there, basically washing the trees by hand and, um, yeah like scrubbing the mud off just so that the trees can breathe again yeah um so so yeah the the macadamia industry will be most definitely hit by by this disaster but so i mean gosh the dairy industry you know people losing their whole herds you know who, who put them on high flood like ground that is safe and losing them like this is it's just unheard of and you know lots of beef cattle gone and obviously, then the impact too with um, just um, you know with their with pastures washed away um, and just then you know erosion based issues. I don't, like it's And the pure yeah.
1: logistics of getting milk out in those early. I know. Days, yeah, and having to just waste it, dump it. it.
0: Yeah. Yep, or not yep.
1: even milk. I'm. Sure, were they able to not? Did that happen that they could naturally milk
0: the ones that I know did, but they they still then end up. Yeah, but, but the, the biggest story has been just the loss of the actual herds, like mm-hmm. cattle lost. So that's that's the scale of it. Um, but, you know, if you can buy some Norco milk, you're helping us.
1: Yeah, totally. Um, one quick question. Do So with your macadamia harvest, t- tell me about that. Is it um, possible to delay it? What happens if you delay it? To oh,
0: look, yeah, and it's so different to broadacre harvesting. Um, so... For those um, if you're not familiar with macadamias are a native nut, so they actually are from here, like they're an Australian nut that was from the big scrub which is where we live. and the nuts fall naturally um, over a course of months. So basically you don't shake a tree like a pecan, it just falls And because we've had so much, Um, heavy rain over this period it really has brought on a lot of nuts so there's lots of nut on the ground you don't want the nut to sit on the ground for too long although they do have a shell that encases them to protect them in that you just end up getting like a it's it's more at risk of getting damaged Um, so and disease yeah Yeah. so um, so you kind of once the nuts down you then want to get the harvester through but that continues like you have a process of you pick it all up you go and sort it, send it off to the processor, and then two weeks later you'll go through and do another run or three weeks later. So you you harvest, you know, we'll probably harvest eight times over the course of the next five months, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, it does. Yeah. Um, Radio. So, yeah, there is a natural specific harvest. You're harvesting for half the year and then half the year they're growing.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, pretty much. Um, so it's, yeah, it's just a completely different set up and they're really like the harvesters are almost like super sized lawn mowers that are really agile that can get around trees and they um have little things called finger wheels and they push the nut up and then it then goes on to the you know back and then you unload that and go again. So um it's do quite laborious. The harvester? No I don't <laughs> uh, the most I do is the mowing so which is all yeah there's a bit of that. But you know, I've hit a few trees. Could be trusted got the harvester. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'll leave those with the professional skills. I think us um, uh, those, <laughs> the kids and I will help with the sorting of the nuts. That's about our skill set. Um, okay. so that's just getting the bad ones out. There's sort of a, it's, it's almost like a you know in a fruit orchard where the yeah. fruit comes through and you pick out the good ones or the bad ones. Yeah. That sort of thing yeah
1: so just for people that are listening that don't know you can you just tell me briefly a little bit about where you grew up and your journey to end up where you are now
0: yes guys so uh, I grew up (laughs) I grew up out in the central west I'm from Forbes um so that's uh west of orange effectively in New South Wales and um the short version is after going to uni in Sydney, um, I ended up working, oh, actually I lived in Uganda for a year and then I was—I um, became an ABC rural reporter. Uh, and what did
1: you just,
0: study at uni? Oh, I studied liberal studies, so like mm-hmm. art science effectively, mm-hmm. basically kind of a, a degree where, when you don't know what you want to do yep, um, yep. at Sydney uni. And although I did always think I wanted to be a journo, but I just wasn't sure weather I don't know yeah just have those moments yeah where I was going to go um and so anyway ended up as a rural reporter up in Kununurra and then have moved right around um with the ABC effectively um and then I was in Perth with um ABC 730 and then if what happened is that um the family farm back here in Lismore there was an opportunity for us to come back and for my husband to work here on that after the manager had um, retired after many decades so it was like okay well let's let's do it let's this is sort of a time if we're going to do it Um, and we also just had two of our three kids so you know i think the and the distance of western australia to the east coast where both our families were from was certainly a a pull factor
1: did you always feel like you would move back closer to home or
0: I definitely felt like I would always end up when I had kids living um on a farm or living in regional Australia definitely always yeah and I did love my time in the city but I think even even with my reporting always gravitated towards regional reporting so um yeah, so it, it it definitely feels like home, and, it, and it's like I've I've loved coming and living here, and you know finding my own little community within the community, and um, yeah, it's just so completely different though to Forbes and the the long drought years and the the different landscape. Like it's 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 obviously very lush up here, but um, yeah, I do love going back to Forbes and visiting my family who were there still on the. I've got a brother and sister in law who are on our old family mixed farm.
1: And you've been with the ABC for how many years now?
0: I think I think it's about 15 years, which is a lifetime, isn't it? Totally. Um, But I have been, to be fair, I've taken time out. I have been like especially with the kids while they've been little um and have worked in a part-time capacity and have done, you know, some pretty different jobs. But I've yeah, it still has been a constant for that um
1: ron was yeah. the recipient of the andrew ollie scholarship which is a very highly crowded scholarship within the abc but i can't remember what you did with that
0: yeah i actually i was lucky enough to that year um uh, um barack obama was elected That's right. uh, yeah that was pretty incredible actually so i was in um washington in the lead up during the campaign and then i was actually in new york in harlem the night of the election result so um that was absolutely incredible um and it was yeah it was a really great year i did lots of um time in parliament at parliament house and yeah ended up at landline for a while Yeah, sort of worked in lots of different parts of the abc yeah
1: i know it's probably it's a bit sort of um it's a long time to be asking you these kind of questions but i will because i've got you here do you um When, once you've sort of got more time on your hands and your children are a bit older, do you have, what do you want to do within the ABC or do you have other aspirations outside of that?
0: Look, I think it changes a lot once you have kids. Mm. And I I don't know, like people tell you that, but then I think until you experience it, um, it, it's been the case for me and I've definitely slowed down. But, um, well, I don't know. Well, it's just been the, the juggling act between the two because I do, I absolutely love reporting in terms of going out there and news gathering and meeting people and and getting those stories together. Like I've I've worked out, that's what I do really, really love. Um, So I don't want to give that up, but I I would like to be able to, um, I mean, yeah, maybe there's always a part of you that does want to be a foreign correspondent, but I can't see how I'm going to do that coming out of Lismore. (laughs)
1: anything's Um, possible these days
0: yeah that's true I guess so but um yeah like I always had because I'd lived in Uganda I'd always had this dream of going to um report out of Africa and um you know Sally Sara was always a you know such a role model but then you know just think life changes Mm. you know and I love I love where we live and I love our family but yeah I do also love my work so it's all a bit of a juggle
1: last thing I want to ask you was if people listening like what is your advice about how to help contribute from afar
0: yeah look and um thank you to anyone who is um has the capacity to be able to help from afar um that is incredibly generous and it it it, yeah it's, it's fantastic there's a number of different initiatives getting around a few that I could think of, I'd have to say the first one would really be that the Lismore City Council, one they've set up, which is going directly to families and businesses that are affected, that's 100% to um, to locals, um, and that's the one that my... Sister in law, even just within our family networks and friends, she set up like a lobster for Lismore, which was a you know twenty bucks. Anyone who's got twenty dollar note to to contribute, and I think they've raised thirty five thousand dollars just doing that, which is incredible in its own right. Um, and still running. I th- I think it'll be closed by this weekend. So yeah, mm-hmm. it'll um, but the just Lismore City Council, another one. Um, I would say is actually set up with the koori mail which is um like the uh local indigenous for the bunjalung nation um that business itself was decimated and i think for the first time in 30 years didn't get their newspaper out that week um but that money isn't so much going into what well, not at all to rebuilding the business it is being then distributed within the people of the bunjalung nation who are flood affected so then it's to pay for tradies it's to pay for emergency accommodation, all of those kinds of things. They're doing some really great work there as well as setting up, like they've just, yeah, handing out anything that needs to be given, like the sort of a, a central point for donations. So another group that was a really hard hit has been the preschools of our region. So um, there were 10 preschools that had structural damage that, um, and have lost every single item and play item within them. So the, pre, the Northern Rivers Preschool Alliance, which represents all of the little community preschools and also helping out with just the early education sector, um, they have got uh, um, a GoFundMe for them, as well as a call out for backpacks with particular items. So um, there's definitely a need there for anyone who could help. I think it's a thousand kids right now who, um, who are without preschool. Um, and then also sky the, you know, give it who do a fantastic job with lots of different natural disasters, obviously they're a great one. If you have got some spare cash or that if you have specific items that you are looking to donate and you think that they could, um, help out, you know, there's, it's literally the list of like, this person would like a fridge and you he can help if you have a fridge or want to donate a fridge, you he can help out. So that's fantastic. But um. My husband's actually just on the side has organised um, through an old friend who now I think they're the general manager at Ridges Hotel Group in Sydney, who heard about the flood disaster and were just going through a refurb, um, refurbishment of their um, of their hotel, and now they're donating their three hundred hotel beds, which are starting to come up as of this week, and so he's helping getting those out and they're being stored like the beds if you could believe this the ensemble beds are all being stored inside the, the catholic cathedral in bismore because wow. the i know because Good the story. cathedral was hit by floodwaters um which itself is unprecedented because as you could imagine a catholic church is always on the high point of a town you know how that rolls um with the churches but um it they've cleaned it out enough but they can't actually use it so they're now using that to physically hold these beds until they will then go out to whoever needs them in the community so yeah so there's lots of great stuff happening yeah Yeah. you can
1: make it whatever you want you yeah you know if you've got something to give then there's ways and means to make it happen um Bron I'm going to let you go because it's your day off um I hope you can rest up a little bit before no doubt you hit the ground running again so thanks so much for taking the time to tell us all about what's been happening with you and lismore in the last
0: 10 days to two weeks thanks sky and thanks for your interest um yeah i really appreciate you putting the call out and um yeah helping tell the story of lismore
1: I hope that now after hearing Bron's story when you think of Lismore and the surrounding small towns that have completely had their footings removed that you can visualize in some small way what they might be going through and feel a bit better about it. If you want to help I'll be putting links in the show notes to all the charities and the GoFundMe pages and fundraisers that Bron mentioned. Thank you so much to Bron, who really did spare us her time during her precious day off when she was supposed to be recovering and regrouping before heading out again and chose to speak with us. I think we're all acknowledging that Australia is getting pretty good at unprecedented natural disasters now. There's been a lot of them in the last five years. But let's not forget the small towns in Lismore, We are focused on them right now, but it is in the months ahead when the adrenaline drops and the rough fatigue and depression and stress starts to kick in that they will need us still. Let's be careful not to move on too quickly. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with another Life on the Land story.